Um, if you can, please open your copies of God's Word in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 14. And uh, we're just going to read a little bit more than what is in your bulletins. We're going to read from verses 1 through 9. So Romans chapter 14, verses 1 uh, through 9. And before we... Um, Go there. Please notice that in your bulletins you have also uh, question and answer one and two of Lord's Day one of the Heidelberg Catechism, and that's what we are going to use to go through this uh, these evening services. We are going to study the doctrine of the Church, what we believe, as it's formulated in the uh, Heidelberg Catechism. Why not the Westminster? Because we already did it in the Sunday school. So uh, I thought, you know what, it's good to do it through the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, but because this is kind of new uh, for you all, I, I thought it would be good to give you a brief apology for why this is something that we can do as Christians. And the reason for that is that if you go to Matthew 28, Jesus Christ says that all authority is given to him on heaven and on earth, and that the apostles and therefore uh, his ministers uh, need to go in the world uh, teaching and baptizing people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that part teaching not only includes uh, scriptures, but, but also the doctrine that we believe, what we confess. Uh, so the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed have been part of what the church has taught people forever since the second century. And so whenever you have new believers, new Christians, that's what they've been taught. Lord's Prayer, uh, uh, Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments. And if you were to be familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, those are the three parts that the Heidelberg Catechism consists of. Uh, um, the Ten Commandments... Um, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. So we are going to be studying really what we believe. This is the faith that we confess. All right, so with that in mind, please stand as we read Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And this is God's word. As for, one, uh, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let no one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind that the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives uh, thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. And this is our text for tonight. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now I want to call your attention to your bulletins. As I said, we have Lord's Day 1, question and answer 1 and 2. Let me just read these to you. What is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I'm not my own, but belong in body and in soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches me, so, over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. And because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Question two, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered of all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Well, dear congregation of the Lord, uh, there is a story that I really like. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, uh, but it's about a young Christian man who was captured by the Romans during a time of persecution. The Roman soldiers uh, carried him to a room in order to interrogate him. And the first, the very first question that the soldiers asked was, what's your name? The man's reply was concise. I am a Christian, he said. The interrogator continued, where are you from? The man replied, I am a Christian. Exasperated now, the soldier affirmed, don't you know that I can kill you if I want? The man replied in the same way, I am a Christian. See, for this man, his name, his origin, his uh, place of living, even his death sentence, was found and encapsulated in one single truth. He was a Christian. And how could anyone say that in face of death? In the face of anything, really? Well, in order to understand the answer and to respond to that question is that we are going to see this evening, the idea that Christ is our only comfort in life and in death. And we will do it in three parts. First, uh, we belong to Jesus. Second, we are forgiven. And third, we have a purpose. So first, we belong to Jesus. Second, we are forgiven. And third, finally, we have a purpose. Now let us see the first part. We belong to Jesus. Now, in the context of chapter 14 of the book of Romans that we just read, uh, the Apostle Paul has already exposited, explained the great, the great salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought to us through his work of redemption. And what follows in chapters 12 to 15 is the practical outworking, the consequence, so to speak, of what Jesus Christ has done in us. Because it cannot be congregation of the Lord that a person who has received salvation in Jesus and the resurrection power of his life and death through the action of the Holy Spirit continues living his life as if nothing has happened to him. He has to reflect that resurrection power in him. And it is in that context that chapter 14 is found. And Paul begins talking about gray areas in the life of the Christian. According to the Apostle Paul, we Christians are free in those gray areas. Yet the aim for everything that we do, says Paul, in our lives has to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever we do, wherever we are, or wherever we are, all that we do, we do it to please the Lord 
Jesus Christ, who is the one who has redeemed us, rescued us, and given us a new life. And in other words, to put it, uh, things, to put it in a practical way, some people don't like to watch TV on the Lord's Day. And they simply like to take a nap in between services in the Lord's Day. Other people, on the other hand, believe and, f and feel free to watch TV. And they believe they have freedom to watch TV in between services. Paul's opinion is not to side with either of those two, if those were available in those times. Uh, but simply to remind us that the intention of our hearts behind everything we do, whether you watch TV on the Lord's Day or not, uh, the actions, uh, the, the heart of the thing should be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of his argument in these verses that we have read. Now, verse 8 is the heart, the focus of our sermon tonight. Let me read it to you once more. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And this verse is precisely the proof text for the question and answer that we have read in the Heidelberg Catechism tonight. Namely, the reality, brothers and sisters, that we are to live to, for Christ, that we are to do everything for his glory. And that, that idea should be a comfort to us. Notice how comprehensive, boys and girls, Paul's and the Catechism's expressions are. If we live, he says, we live for Christ. If we die, we die for Christ. That is everything in your life. Everything in your life. If you watch TV, if you are in social media, if you are checking on some reels on Instagram and on Be Real app, you are always doing it conscious of the reality that that activity, as minor as it may seem, has to be done for God's glory because you belong to him. But notice how the Heidelberg has framed this Pauline idea in this very beautiful way. That you do all things for Christ, that you do everything for his glory, that you may understand that you belong to Jesus Christ. That, that should be a comfort to you. Now, in order to understand uh, what comfort is, we need to uh, uh, open that idea. Because comfort, boys, boys and girls... It's not this good feeling that you have when you are sitting in your couch, watching a good movie with a cozy blanket, zipping hot cocoa in a cold winter night while the snow is falling. That is not what the Heidelberg has in mind here. Uh, rather, the idea of comfort that the Catechism is speaking about has more to do with the ability to look at things and contrast them with something else. For example, let's say that you bought a new Bugatti Veyron 2024. Amazing car. It's yours. It belongs to you, but it will take four weeks to arrive. So in the meantime, the dealer lends you a Chevy Spark. <laughs> the Chevy Spark is not a Bugatti by any means, and you know that. But as you drive that Chevy Spark on the streets, you know that your true car is coming pretty soon. And so you look forward to that day. You know the car is coming. And that idea keeps you going into that Chevy Spark because you know the Chevy Spark is not your true car. It's just a small phase of your life. Soon, soon you will be driving that Bugatti. In the same way, hear the idea with comfort. You belong to Jesus. Your life has been purchased by him. And your true dwelling place, your nationality, your identity is in Jesus Christ. 
Your home is in heavenly glory. And that salvation is all-encompassing. It belongs to you entirely, in body and in soul, in life and in death. And because you know that, it doesn't matter what the providence of God has you going through right now. You know that this present situation is not the end. This present life is not the end. You are walking towards heavenly glory. So let me ask you this. Have you seen suffering in your life? Has your body stopped working properly? Do you feel the aches and pains of age? Have you been experiencing tribulations, difficulties, losses? Have you been stricken and afflicted so much that you have wondered when is all of this going to end? If you have answered with a yes to any of those, or maybe you answered to, to all of those with a yes, here's the comfort for you, dear brother and sisters. Uh, this present age, this present suffering, this present difficulty is just a phase. It won't be like that forever. You have something better awaiting for you in eternity. Yes, yeah, something better than Abogadi Beiron. You belong to Jesus. You are his possession. And a day is coming when your inheritance will be in glory, enjoying of his presence, in the dwelling place of God, where he is, where suffering, where, where tears will be no more. And, and what is it? What is 50, 60, maybe 80, 90, 100 years of life compared with eternity in the presence of God, enjoying Jesus' blessedness? What is that? Nothing. And that is why belonging to Jesus Christ is a comfort. That is why if, if we live for Christ, if, if we do everything for him, this life is worth living. And that is what we need to remember, congregation. We belong to Jesus. Therefore, we are to live for him. We belong to Jesus. Therefore, even if we die, we are safe and secure in his hands. We are not of those who have no hope, congregation. We're of those who do have hope. We're of those who know that the moment after we breathe, we breathe our last, we will be received by the warm and, and, and welcoming hands and arms of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that idea helps us to carry through our lives in this world, doesn't it? It is that idea, too, that does not allow us, that, uh, does not allow, allow us excuse me, to build our kingdoms down here. As if this world were everything that there is. Because it's not. We are called to advance Jesus' kingdom. If we live, Paul says, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. All of the life of the Christian is to be, is to be lived before the presence of God. Because when we die, guess what? We will experience the presence of God. And that is a great comfort. You are never alone. You are never abandoned. You are never without the strength. Now, it may feel like that at some times. I'm sure you have felt that. I have felt that too. But your Lord is always sustaining you. Your Lord is always caring for you. Your Lord is always going to be there for you because you belong to him. Now, how is that we have come to belong to him, though? Well, the answer is, of course, because Jesus has purchased us and we are forgiven. And this is our second point. 
we are forgiven. Notice how the second part of the Catechism continues. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. Is there anything more comforting? There is nothing, really. And it's a comfort because our biggest problem as a human being is not inflation, nor politics, nor the bad grades that we are getting at the school. Rather, our biggest problem and the root of all of our problems, really, is sin. Sin. If you have uh, your Bibles with you, go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we are going to uh, read verses 1 through 3. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Listen to him. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curse of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, the spirit, excuse me, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So as you heard, according to Paul, sin means that we are spiritually dead, naturally speaking. As soon as we are born, we are already belonging to the camp of the devil. We are Satan's slaves, children of wrath, and whose natural destiny was eternal punishment. Everyone who has watched The Lord of the Rings uh, finds very, very easy to hate the orcs. Do you not? After all, the orcs are these pestilent, horrible, ugly creatures that love to do evil. What we don't realize very often is, not, is that, naturally speaking, we are born in that way. We are orcs, spiritually speaking. And just like the orcs who love to do the will of the Dark Lord, so us too. Naturally speaking, we loved to do evil things. We loved to pursue what is wicked evil, wicked things that every single time that we did them, every single time that we practiced them, made us more a slave, more oppressed. You see, the irony of our sinful human nature is that sin is not good for us, yet, yet we want it, we search for it, we pursue it. And every single time that we seek it, we get more and more sick. Our sinful human nature is like the cavities that we have in our teeth. And our natural tendency is to continue eating candies and drinking pop, increasing our cavities, making them bigger until we are toothless. That's what sin does. That is our natural tendency. And the devil even rejoiced in that. Go ahead. Be more stupid. Follow me more. I'm just making you more a slave of me. But listen how Paul continues in verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise the Lord that he didn't abandon us in our misery and in our sins and in the pestilence of it. Rather, he loved us. Even when we were destroying ourselves, even when we were his enemies and loved to hate him and loved to run away from him, even then, in his tender mercies, he touched our hearts, created new life in us, and in his immeasurable love, 
he rescued us in Jesus Christ, making us alive in him. You see, it was God's love that moved him, moved him to send the Lord Jesus Christ to live and die for us. It was his love for you and for me. It was his love for us that kept Jesus on that cross. And it was on that cross, not only that Jesus paid for our sins and forgave us, but that cross also represents our pass into freedom, true freedom, because a Christian congregation is a true human being, one that has stopped being a slave of sin and who has, for the first time in his life, been able and capable of becoming free. A person who is free becomes a servant of Jesus Christ. That is true freedom, by the way. True freedom, congregation, is found only in submission to God and to his word. And that thought actually moves us to our third point. We do have a purpose. We do have a purpose. Purposelessness is of all evils, perhaps the worst. When you have no purpose in life, you have no reason to live. Life is meaningless. Your life force is stopped. And you just want to lie on the couch until you die. I read somewhere in a book uh, that a pastor went to visit his parishioners who hadn't been at church for a long while. And when he found them, he found them in their apartment. They were not even dressed. They were still in their pajamas. Because why bother, right? Both of them in their pajamas hadn't been out in weeks. Boxes of food were all over the place. The TV was on. There was piles of dirty plates around the kitchen. And the pastor asked, do you believe that God has created you for a purpose? Their answer was really sad. No, there is no purpose in life. And actually, that is a very good illustration of our society. We are the culture of the YOLO acronym, right? You only live once. And we are so busy trying to seize the day, the moment, the minute, the second, that we actually end up seizing nothing. We are so busy, so occupied with everything that our lives are purposeless. Pursuing the next experience, the next trip, the next step in the professional ladder, yet blinded to the reality that in the road, in that road, there is no end. There is always one more better experience, one more better trip, one more higher step. That is just purposelessness disguised as busyness. But not for us, congregation. And we are not to fall into that trap, by the way. We have been called for better things. Not only do we belong to Jesus, not only he has forgiven our sins, not only he has accepted us, but he has also given us a purpose to live by for the rest of our lives. And here's where we come full circle with our text this evening. Once again, let me read it to you. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Are you ready for this? The purpose for your lives is not in yourself, is not in your family, is not in your career, but is found only in Jesus Christ. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do, whatever the Lord has called you to do, you have a bigger purpose than simply making money or being famous or providing for your family. 
all of those things become subservient of your main purpose in life, to serve Jesus Christ, to live for him, to glorify his name. A person who understands this, a Christian who knows that his life in, this, uh, in his service to Jesus Christ actually has meaning, will always, always find comfort in his life. No matter how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how sad the situation becomes. And yes, comfort. Because in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, everything, everything makes sense. In Jesus, boys and girls, you will find the God who cares for you. In Jesus, you will find a friend who will never, ever abandon you. In Jesus, you will find an empathic pilgrim that is walking with you, that suffers with you, and that knows what suffering is. In Jesus, you will find strong arms that will sustain you through the road. In Jesus, you will find this unifying theme of the whole of creation, the purpose of life, the purpose of your endeavors. Your vocation will become something that is good for you, something that you will enjoy, not just something to make money or worse, something that you hate right now because it has become a pain. And in Jesus, you will find the purpose for your life today, in the next 10 years, and forever. And there is nothing more powerful and more gratifying than that. Jesus will be there when you are struggling with math. Jesus will be there helping you move forward. In Jesus, you will find hope in the midst of a suffering situation, of a dark situation, of a broken marriage. In Jesus, you will find the strength to continue when a loved one has departed this earth. All the ups and downs in this life find a purpose in the idea that if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. And how do we get there? How do we partake of this comfort? How do we make it our own? Three things, says the Heidelberg. We need to confess that we are sinners. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. And we need to live for his glory. That is how we get this comfort. What is your comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong both in body and in soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Is there anything more sweet? Not really. May the confession be true to us, even tonight. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we belong to you. And as we ponder upon this truth, please help us to trust in you, to hold a fast of that truth, so we may continue living this life for, this, for your glory and uh, help us to look forward to that day in eternity when everything will be made anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.